not next week, but on June 4th, we are going to have a, uh, a music event here in the neighborhood. Let me tell you why, one of the reasons why, two of the reasons why we're going to do this. There are some cards in the back that are an invitation for this. Uh, I got I to gotta give credit to Elena for making them. Uh, it's a great artwork, and she doesn't want me to give her credit. But, and, then, and then Johnny, um, Johnny and David and Jonathan and some other musicians are going to join in this. We're calling it a Golden Hill Music Jam. The first reason we're going to do this is because there are a lot of musicians in this area. And it's just a place where people can gather together, play together. Uh, we'll give an opportunity for people to sing, to, to play a couple songs, two or three songs as their own band, and then at the end we're going to have three, three songs that are um, more standards, well-known, where everybody can just join in and play together. So any musicians here are welcome to join us, and if you know of other musicians, let me know. Here's the other reason we're doing this, because literally, uh, when I first moved in the neighborhood, I was talking with somebody in the neighborhood who doesn't attend a church, and he knew I was a pastor, and he said, he said, hey, you do you want to come to this, uh, this art show um, a week from now or whatever? And then he stopped himself. He, he said, oh, wait, I forgot. Christians don't really like art. <laughs> no, no lie. No lie. I mean, we want to be a church that delights in the, the work of art. The work of art. Now, it doesn't have to be explicitly Christian art. Um, of course, the art shouldn't be uh, demeaning to humanity and God's creation. But, but still, we want to delight in the creation, the work that, uh, that God has made us to do. Just as the Old Testament uh, shows that there were musicians who were in the courts of the Lord who were, were hired to do that. So we want to delight in that and, and welcome more and more musicians in to, to be a part of this. Um, so pick up everybody. Pick up five of these cards. You don't have to hand them all out, but just have them on hand so that if you think about, hey, there's somebody who probably likes music, then come. Even if you don't play, it's going to be a coffee house style thing, so you can come and just enjoy it, and, and we'll have snacks and, uh, and coffee and, and just a, a fun environment to hang out. It's also going to be a, a benefit. So there's no admission, but we'll take donations to benefit uh, Generate Hope, which is a ministry here in San Diego that is working to... Uh, provide housing and restoration, uh, the long work of restoration it takes for women who have been um, trafficked in the sex industry and are, are being rescued out of that. All right, so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Psalm 90 if you'd like to. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the chairs around, and uh, you're welcome to take uh, one of those with you if you don't have a copy. Uh, if you want a copy of the Bible that's a little bit less worn than that, ask me and, and we'll, we'll gladly get you a Bible. Psalm 90. So we started looking at this last week. And we looked at it through the, the lens of a children's story. We had the kids up front here and they, um, they heard the story and if you walked away with two main things, I will be pleased. The two main things we, we talked about are, one, that oftentimes our work is hard. And two, that as daunting and challenging as this may be, 
our work actually lasts forever. Remember God's big fridge where he never takes the work down that we did. He just keeps putting it up and it endures forever. The story we looked at was the story of Moses. Psalm 90 begins with the words, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. And ends with these words, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This psalm is the only psalm that we know of that Moses wrote. And of course, Moses wrote it in the midst of this long, difficult journey from Egypt where they had been enslaved to the land of Canaan where they were going to experience freedom and rest. But the trip wasn't the few weeks that they had planned. It turned out to be 40 years because because the people essentially didn't trust God. And so they ended up living in tents for these 40 years from one place to another. They ended up, all the adults, dying in the wilderness. Those adults who had exercised unfaithfulness died in the wilderness without even entering the promised land. And their work was more difficult, as anyone who's camped knows. It's more difficult work when you have to do everything by hand and pretty manually. And So as we read, I'm going to read the whole psalm and then focus in on Verse 17, establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. But as we read this psalm, I want you to think about that, that though they slept in tents, God, God was their dwelling place. Though they died in the wilderness, their lives were eternal. Because God is eternal and it made them to be eternal. And though, though they found their work, their labors, their vocations to be hard and toilsome and agonizing and unfulfilling at times, those same works, all the things that they did mattered to God. They mattered to them, to others, to us today, and to others around us, not just for a short time, but forever. I mean, these are the whys that probably came out of last week. Okay, so... so Our work is hard. Why is our work hard? Okay, so our work's going to last forever. I'm not quite sure. I want my work to last forever. It's not that good oftentimes. But but we experience the tension in this, and, and it leads us into questions of, you know, why does my work matter? And it makes us all feel a sense of dissatisfaction with the work we're doing. And I'm not talking about just the work that we're paid to do as vocations. I'm talking about all the work, the the work that we do in all of life, whether it's at a manufacturing facility making wedges, or in a sales office selling some product, or in a classroom teaching students, or in a home teaching children, or around our community picking up trash, or helping your neighbor mow their yard, Whatever it is, playing music, doing dishes, keeping track of inventory, whatever it is, this work 
matters to God. And if we are experiencing dissatisfaction, then listen especially to verse 3 and 13, because in verse 3 it says, Return, O children of man. Return to me, says the Lord. Maybe you need to return to the Lord. And or, verse 13 Our response to the Lord, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. We need to call, we need to either respond to God's call to us to return, or we need to call on God to return, to fulfill our desires, our our wants, to, to give us this satisfaction in our work. Because I know, I feel dissatisfaction, you feel dissatisfaction, we all feel the the struggles. Of our work, so let's read this whole psalm and look at this this question of why our work matters to God forever. A prayer of Moses, the man of God: Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Speaking of grass in this psalm, how it withers, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's do that again. We need to practice it. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, now may the work that we do, that I do to speak these words to this congregation, that we do to hear them and to understand them and to apply them in our lives. Be pleasing in your sight. 
And will you give us insight from your word, the power of your word, that we may live our life unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to these words. All that you fashion, all that you make, all that you build, all that you break, all that you measure, all that you feel, all this you can leave behind. All that you reason, it's only time. Love in a fever, no, not mine. All that you sense, all that you scheme, all you dress up, all that you seem, all you create are the closing words of it's another song from you two. Walk on. It begins by saying love is the only baggage you can bring. It's all that you can't leave behind. Love is the only baggage you can bring. It's all that you can't leave behind. You know, poetry... The poetry of our day is really the musicians. We don't read a lot of poetry. We don't see a lot of poets. We kind of give lip service to a few, but we really listen to music. Because in music, in poetry, in music today, our our thoughts, our deepest concerns are distilled down into memorable phrases that have amazing power to shape our lives. This is why the Psalms were written, because they were memorable phrases that could shape our lives. That's why we use the Psalms still today to shape our lives. And, and the, the question that I have for us is, is this lyric from you too, I mean, is it biblical? Is it, is it godly? Is it the right way to look at the work that we do, all that we, we fashion, all that we make, all that we build, all that we measure and, um, and think about when we reason and all that we plan, all that we, all that we do, it, is it all just a waste? Is it all just meaningless because love is the only thing we can't leave behind? Not just can't leave behind, but love, they're saying love is the only thing that we can take with us. Everything else we have to leave behind. The psalm helps us to answer this question, and it's pretty obvious by now that I'm I'm raising questions about this approach because it sounds right. And we have a lot of misconceptions about work that sound right. They almost sound like they come from the Bible. But we, we have blurred vision when it comes to our work. We're viewing it through the wrong lenses, and we need to have some more lenses put in front of us that clears up how we view our work if, if we hope to find any enjoyment, satisfaction, success. We'll define that a little bit later. So I've got four things that we should look at that are correctives that help clear up our our blurry vision. 
And if, if we see through these lenses, we're going to see that our work really does matter to God. And if it matters to God, then it matters to other people, and it matters to us, it matters forever. It's not just some kind of throwaway. This is the first one. We oftentimes think that our work is, is throwaway. I mean, like a disposable camera. You know, you, you use it for a time, and then it's just it's gone. But our work has eternal significance. You know, this psalm speaks a lot about numbering our days. Right here, our, our days are but 70 or 80 years in length. You know, it, they're like grass that, that pops up and, and blooms at the beginning, and yet it, it fades and dies by the end of the day. And a thousand years in God's sight is like yesterday for us. But this psalm, at the end especially, the prayer at the end, gives us hope that our work will last more than, than just a short time. It says in verse 16, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Now, here's a helpful corrective in and of itself. We always have to remember that God's great work of deliverance is far greater than our works. Right? Don't hear me say that somehow our works are... are, are anywhere on par with God's great work of deliverance. He was the one who brought these plagues on Egypt and then parted the Red Sea and conquered the most powerful super army of the day and led the people out. Their works were in response, following. They were supposed to just follow and obey God. They had a hard time with it. Pick up the bread that God gave them every morning. They had a hard time with it. It wasn't to say that the work was easy. And yet God had given them some tasks. And one of the particular tasks was to pass on, pass on the things that they had learned to their children. The things that they had learned about God, they were to pass them on to their children so that their children could believe. So in one sense, in one sense our work does endure in the form of passing things on to our children. But our work doesn't end there. It's not just oh yeah, the next generation and the next generation. It certainly is none less than that, nothing less than that, but it's not just that. It's, it's this bigger question of will everything just burn up in the end? Listen, we hear this in the language through verses 5 through 11 here. And make no mistake, I mean this is strong language that speaks of the judgment of God. The judgment that comes on every one of our works. Everything we do has to stand the test of a refining fire. It's like a, a fire that's used to purify precious metal, gold or silver. And when the fire heats up, all the, all the messiness, all the, the things that, that aren't supposed to be there floats to the top and is removed, and what's left is the precious metal. The judgment of God is real, and it will burn up all the wrong things that we've done. Now, how exactly this is going to happen, how God judges, how things will burn up, is, is a, a question for a different sermon. 
But this is what I want you to see, is that even though some things may be filled with impurities, filled with imperfections in how we do our work, that work matters to God and in building his kingdom. This, this point was really made to me with a, a, a documentary I saw on an outpost, a military outpost in a far-reaching place in Afghanistan, a place where a number of the people were very hostile to, this, to the people there. And I saw the way they built this, this outpost. And what did they do? They built up the walls with sandbags. They put up tents to live in. They brought in portable grills to cook with. It was nothing like you'd expect a good, peaceful house to be. In fact, I'm not saying anything about the war in Afghanistan or that the that the, the word of God, the kingdom of God advances by military force. Don't hear me wrong there. But I am saying this serves as an illustration. If that outpost was successful and it brought peace to that area, then that outpost was going to be completely torn down. No sign of it ever again. And yet it served a valuable purpose. The building of it served a valuable purpose in bringing that peace to that area. Our works are like that outpost. It's not perfect. It's messy. It's not a place where you'd really want to live for an extended period of time. But our works are serving an eternal purpose to bring peace that follows in the peace that Jesus has brought in all of our lives. Look, even if all of our works, all the things we've built with our hands, all of the houses and even all of the artwork is someday burnt up in fire, it will have served a purpose in advancing God's kingdom that is eternal in nature. Your work, whether you're sitting at a desk processing papers, whether you're making music, whether you're healing patients, whether you're tearing down homes, whatever you're doing, as long as it's a legitimate profession, and I venture to say, I know all of you, I know that all of you are doing legitimate professions, all right? There, there are, if, if there was an issue, you know, I mean, if you were... Um, I don't know. You can imagine what they are. If you, you, you know the, the professions that you would have to get out of if, if you... Like I said, I know all of you. And you're not doing those professions. We can do all professions in a way that glorifies God and, it, and realize that it, they matter for eternity. Second, we oftentimes view work as a curse. I I did something wrong or Adam and Eve did something wrong and therefore now we have to work as punishment. You know, we learned this in school. we, we, We did something wrong, now we have to write the sentences, right? We did something wrong, now we have to practice whatever it is. We we 
we learn from various ways that, that, that work is a curse. But here's what the Bible says. Even though work is cursed, your work is not a curse. Even though work is cursed, your work is not a curse. Verse 10 says, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. Toil and trouble. Even our life comes to an end. And this comes straight from Genesis 3. If you want to, you can turn back there. We'll read Genesis 3, verse 17. After Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit, God says to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, not just that she listens, but because you have listened to the voice of your wife pertaining to this particular thing, not in general, pertaining to this one thing, and you have eaten of the tree, the one command that I gave to you, don't eat from this tree, you shall not eat of it. Cursed now is the ground because of you. God had already given them all this work to do, a lot of work. But now, cursed is the ground because of you and this sin. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Does this sound like your work? It's filled with thorns. You get interested in it for a while. You like it, but then it it gets tough. Maybe because you have to deal with other people. Maybe because you have to deal with yourself. Maybe because you have to deal with physical difficulties in in doing the work. Thorns, thistles. And it takes away from our, our satisfaction. But the work itself is not a curse. The work is cursed. The work, our lives, in fact, have been brought to an end. Death, physical death, came as a result of this disobedience of Adam and Eve. And now they die. Now our lives are 70, 80 years. And we experience this trouble. Third thing. We tend to view work we tend to view work outside of the work that I do as somehow second-class work. Right? We, we tend to view the work that's not specifically studying the Bible and teaching other people the Bible and teaching other people about faith as somehow second-class work. Right? We do, you do this in your own life. A lot of you. The, you have... The work of ministry that you do, and that's leading Bible studies or praying for people or teaching them about the Bible. And then you have the, the, the secular work you do, and that's, uh, that's maintaining a house or maintaining an apartment building or um, fighting in the military or whatever it is. And we have this separation. Now, now this, is, this is not new to our generation. In fact, um, up until about the 
the 1500s, this separation was ingrained in the culture. If you ask somebody, you know, well, what's your calling? The only way to understand the word calling was to understand it as the vocational ministry of a priest or somebody in full-time paid ministry. Calling had no other meaning. That, that, was, that was tied to it. But in the 15th century, a, a, a German monk and priest named Martin Luther saw a number of heirs that were prevalent in the, in the church, and he called out a number of them. And, and one of them was this view of work and this sacred, secular divide between what kind of work we are doing. And saying that, that, that the secular work is, is somehow second-class work. But here's the question I have for you. Now, what kind of work do you suppose the majority of people were doing when Moses led them out of the promised land and he prayed for them, not just some of them, but establish the work of our hands, Lord. Establish the work of our hands. There was one tribe out of 12 that was called to serve as priests and as full-time laborers for ministry. The other 11 were called to set up the tents, take care of the food, raise children, provide for the needs, clean the house, clean the tents, excuse me. This was sacred work. God cares about this work in our lives. God cares about the work that you do because what you are doing in your vocation right now is not just throwaway work. It's work that lasts forever because you are doing kingdom advancing work that is serving his purposes. Look, if you didn't do that work, we would all die. Or if everybody didn't do this other work, that we can't all be priests. We can't all be pastors, teachers. God set up a division of labor and he has blessed that work and he says, do this work as if you're doing it for me, but you're not just doing it for me. A pastor who spoke on this subject said, our work does not just serve God. Our work serves our neighbor. It's not just a question of what are we doing for God, but what is God doing through us for other people? God is working ministry. You are serving. The word ministry just means serving. You are serving other people in your full-time vocation, whatever it may be. Part-time vocation, in your work at the home, in your work wherever you are, whatever work you're doing in relationships or outside of relationships, your work matters to God. Fourth thing I want us to see. Fourth error we tend to make is that our work is somehow the measure of our worth. And this is really dangerous. Because I've just led you up to the, the precipice, up to the edge of the cliff, and you probably feel the weight of not doing your work as well as you should have. You might feel that, right? You, you say, well, I haven't done all that work. But the, the message of the Bible is that your work does not 
determine your worth. Now, this plays out in a couple ways. One is in a socio kind of social uh, way where we compare the work we do to the work somebody else does. And, and we say, well, am I really measuring up to the, to the other people around me? Am, you know, have I, have I been all I can be? Have I uh, done, done better than, than another person? And, and this is really dangerous because God has called some people to work in a factory. And he's called other people to be, um, to be taking care of a house full time with a family. He's called other people to play music. He's called other people to take care of inventory at a factory. He's called other people to serve as lawyers. He's called other people to serve as engineers. And there is not a relative worth in God's economy between one thing and the other. Your worth is not measured by what you make. And in fact, this is a major point of this church plant, is that, is that we, we want to recognize that and value that and say that if you are coming here, whatever you do in life, even if, even if you're unemployed right now, especially if you are unemployed right now, you are valuable in God's economy. But it's dangerous in a second way. Because we measure, we, we oftentimes use our work as a way to measure God's satisfaction with us. Did you ever see the movie Rocky? At the end, he's talking, I can't remember if he's talking to his coach or to his wife. He says, he says this, who, who am I kidding? I ain't even in this guy's league. It don't matter because I was nobody before. I was nobody. That don't matter either, you know. It really don't matter because if I lose this fight, it really don't matter if this guy opens my head either. Because all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if, if I can go the distance, you see, and that bell rings, you know, and, and I'm still standing... I'm going to know for the first time in my life, you see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. I mean, do you, do you ever feel that? Like you got to do something to prove that you're just not another bum from the neighborhood. You may not express it like, like Rocky did. You may have far more eloquent words to say it, but we still look at our lives and say, I've got to prove myself. I've got to prove that I'm just not another bum from the neighborhood. But this is what the gospel says. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, you're not a bum not because you went the distance with Creed. You're not a bum because I went the distance with Satan. You're not a bum because I went the distance on your behalf and I have made you valuable in my sight. You keep trying to prove that you're someone to the world, 
when that fight is over. The fight is done and Jesus has won that fight for you and he's freed you in order to do the work he's called you to do. And he's freed you to be able to fail at it at times and succeed. He's gifted you in certain areas. Do you know what areas he's gifted you in? Are you working in places that you you can see that you're good at? He did the same thing with Moses. He led them, Moses and the Israelites, out of Egypt. He said, "You, you do your work because I've already done mine. He said, your work's going to be hard, but keep doing it because I will give you the strength to do it. He said, your work may seem insignificant, but I've made it significant because it is building up my kingdom. And it's not just an outpost that I'm working on building. It's not just a room with folding chairs in the Polish Hall in South Park. It's a glorious home that is filled with peace and security, with gardens all around where we can enjoy doing our work and not encounter any more cursedness on that work that he's called us to do. We'll continue to work in heaven. We'll continue to work when heaven comes back down to earth and there's a new heaven and new earth. Right now he's called us to do the work he's called us to in a way that will give us satisfaction if we, if we understand the way he's made us and understand the type of work he's given us and why he's given us the work and that it really matters in his economy. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you have been our dwelling place not just for a short time, but forever. In all generations, from everlasting to everlasting. So Lord, will you teach us to number our days? Will you satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we can do our work in the afternoon with your strength? Will you give us joy in all of our days? And will you remind us of your work that has made us somebody? And will you establish the work of our hands, O Lord? Establish the work of our hands upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.